Welcome, welcome everybody to the Black Friday edition of ATL Hangout. You'll see in that top right corner, our guy from Hitting Hard, John Shuggery. And then you'll see in that lower corner, our guy from A to Z, Mark Zeno. And in that top right corner, my partner in crime, Jarvis Davis. And of course, I'm Tanitra Batiste. We are your one-two punch from ATL Day Ones. We appreciate you guys hanging out. Just in case you are hungover, we appreciate you guys for stopping by as well. We'll try to get you guys sobered up for Black Friday shopping and the rest of this weekend. But listen, you should sober up because the Falcons have a very critical game coming up this weekend. They are in the district to take on the commanders. So guys, without further ado, let's just get it cracking and talk about what the Falcons' realistic chance is of winning this commander's game on the road, especially when you were talking about a commander's team that I believe, guys, has won five of their last six and they are red hot. Tanitra, it's the same chance of you ignoring Black Friday sales, which is absolutely <laughs> uh, Generally, this is an awful matchup for the Atlanta Falcons right now. Uh, Washington is playing out of their minds, got themselves back in a playoff race. They've only given – over the last six games, they haven't allowed a single opponent to score more than 20 points. Uh, this is, again, a terrible matchup because the Falcons stink in pass protection. They have a front four that's as good as any in the league. They get Chase Young back healthy. I'm not sure the Falcons are going to score in this game. No Kyle Pitts. I mean, to me, it really it's just a, a bad, bad matchup at a bad time. The one thing that the Falcons do well, run the ball. Washington is excellent at stopping the run. Um, Taylor Heineke doesn't have to be very good. Jarvis, you could quarterback that team and you could win because <laughs> their defense yeah. is that good. It's just a bad, bad matchup. I'm not unless they get something really special out of Mariota and he's zigzagging around all over the field and you can't figure out where to go. I, I don't. I, I genuinely don't think the Falcons stand a chance. I mean, my my take from a from a betting standpoint, real quick, when the team total gets posted tomorrow, if it's at twenty and a half, hammer the under because I don't think the Falcons are getting a twenty. I, I genuinely don't. Like the one game where the Falcons went up a team that was defensively as good as Washington is right now was the Tampa game. And they didn't score a single point in that game until the fourth quarter. You know what? I, I, I'm not as down on, on Marcus. I'm not as convicted as Zeno is, but I, I think this is one of those games where we're going to really see what Arthur Smith is capable of from a play calling standpoint, because yeah. as you know, as you guys know, we know what it is. We know what he tries to do each and every game. What is it? Uh, Chuck, one stop, one, uh, one read, quick read, short, short route, quick route, one read throw. Yep, Short, yep. quick route, one rethrow. I think yep. that we're going to see get a heavy dose of that, and I think that if they owe some of those more of those targets start to flow towards Drake London, we're going to see some things. I think they've actually been able to connect that like a sixty percent clip. We talked about this on the show earlier in the week, T, and, and I think that that's just that that's the thing that I think they have to focus on. Not necessarily with Kyle Pitts being out. I think they can put some guys in there that can kind of do what they've been doing at the tight end position. And now I'm just going to remove the name because we already know what. We think we should, Kyle Pitts uh, should be getting right now or producing from a standpoint. But from what we've been getting from the tight end position, I think they have some guys that can step into that that role. And I think that with Kyle, man, Arthur Smith is definitely going to have to be very creative when it comes to this, his game plan this week because that front, that front four for what for the Commanders is absolutely ridiculous. And it, and and to be honest with you, I'm actually jealous of how many guys they have that can rush the pass. <clears throat> How many uh, how many times do you think Jonathan Allen watched the tape of Derrick Brown destroy the interior <laughs> of our offensive line? I mean, that's the matchup this week. Is right. if they don't have an answer for Jonathan Allen blowing up Drew Dolman or blowing up anybody on our interior offensive line, 
I mean, last week against the Texans, I think it was two sacks, four quarterback hits, three tackles for loss. Um, he just completely game wrecked their interior offensive line. I mean, just destroyed it. And they don't have an answer for that. Falcons aren't going to get their running game cranked up and going. I think there are moments that the Falcons will have offensively. If you look at some of the numbers for Washington, they do, believe it or not, they do give up a decent amount of red zone touchdowns and things like that. I think they've given up the fourth most passing touchdowns um, for the season. So there are things that you can do. But if you don't have an answer for Jonathan Allen and those guys up front, it really ain't going to matter at the end of the day. It's going to look like Carolina all over again. Okay. And that was the one place where I gave him a little bit of credit, John, was kind of the hope that maybe where Demir Bird and Alameda Zacchaeus have been sort of, quote unquote, some secret weapons for Marcus Mariota. He's had some success connecting with them. Maybe there's an opportunity there if you could actually get it into the red zone. But yeah, I thought about that. But uh, other than that, I was thinking, wow, this this could actually be a long day. And I just remember thinking, earlier in the week and taking nothing away, by the way, from, you know, Deron uh, Payne and the local product Montez Sweat. But all I kept thinking was, well, damn, Chase Young is back. But Mark, you were going to say something too? Well, look, we all fell into the same damn trap uh, when we gave our analysis of this game that I've been screaming about on ADZ for the last couple of weeks. And even I was guilty of it because it's the main thing. It's like, you know, the Falcons offense, the Falcons offense, Falcons guys. This is a team that's loaded with weapons, the Washington Commanders, on the offensive side of the ball all over the place. Our defense stinks. And Dean Peace, I feel like, is being let off the hook. They can't get off the field on third down. They're absolutely terrible in pass uh, in pass defense. It's like we keep forgetting how bad this defense is, and no one is talking about it because we're so stuck on stinking Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter because the reality of the situation here is, let's just say for argument's sake, the Falcons can get to 20. Do you really believe that they that that, that – the Washington Commanders won't get to 21 or more against this Falcons. Do you really believe the Falcons defense can hold anybody to under 24 points? Because I don't. Like, they're just really bad on defense, and no one ever talks about it. I mean, I think I think the reason why we weren't, weren't talking about it is because if you just look at the way this team is built and, and as far as the injuries that the Falcons have been dealing with in the secondary, like, hey, like I think DMPs even said it was. He's like, hey, they're doing the best they can when he well, when they was asked about you know, those guys. And I think that that's one of the reasons why. But I think with A.J. Terrell coming back last week, we saw there was a difference. I don't know about y'all, but I know it's a difference in that pass in that pass game. Like there were, you know, Darren Hall was targeted a lot. It was a reason why <laughs> they they were going at Darren Hall a lot more. Now, Washington has a trio of wide receivers, two good running backs. I mean, again, Taylor Heineke doesn't have to be special. There's enough there on that offense that really could pick apart the Falcons' defense. If you can't make him uncomfortable, then, I mean, again, we saw last year, he threw for 290 yards and three touchdowns. All right, if you don't make a guy uncomfortable, even Taylor Heineke at this level will pick you apart. He did to the Falcons last year. Mm -hmm. You know, Matt threw for for like 300 yards and four touchdowns in this game last year, and they Mm -hmm. still lost because their defense couldn't make a play at the end of the game last year. So to your point, Mark, I didn't have to be great, but he went for 290 and three touchdowns against basically not much different personnel this year than last year. Right. But I will will say this. That might have been the one area where I was thinking, okay, I'm being optimistic here. But the one area where I was thinking and kind of hopeful was maybe, like Jarvis said, having A.J. Terrell back and the fact that Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins have saved some games for the Falcons this season versus maybe what that would have been a season ago. So maybe if somehow the Falcons can keep it tight down the stretch, 
and there's one play that Taylor Heineke has to make down the field, maybe that personnel might just give him a chance. Okay, I'm saying maybe because I do understand Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel exist. But just looking at it from an optimistic perspective, maybe those guys give him a shot when you've got them out there uh, defending. But to to your point, if you get an opportunity to make a turnover, you have to make it in this game. If if Taylor Heineke gives you a play, you can't have four dropped interceptions in a game like this. If you have a chance to put Heineke on the ground, you can't come too far up the field and miss on that play. You you have to make those plays. You have to get your sack. You have to get your turnover because that's the only way that they've closed out games this year is your defense finds a late sack or they find – it's like last week. Find a late turnover and and put the game away. Other than that, you're going to be in trouble all night long. Your guy, um, too, I think this this guy, where we've seen him play a lot more, uh, Chuck, is the fact that Arnold Abiketti, man, he's coming around. And I think that when you listen to him talk after the game, he was talking about this week how he's no longer a rookie. He's like, his rookie season is over with. Like, he's, a, you know, essentially coming to a veteran now. And I think that when you hear a guy talk like that, that, that means he's kind of getting an understand a better understanding for the game as far as learning how to rush. And the more he's out on the field, I feel like, He's been able to so can we go ahead showcase and start what him? he's been able to do. Yeah, can, we, can we go ahead and start him? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't have an argument with that. Yeah, I mean, he has he has one more quarterback hit than Mark does this year on quarterbacks. <laughs> We're so close. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, Mark almost got a guy. Uh, uh, you know, Ogan Daisy closed out one time, time, and he's got one more than Mark does. <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what goes down in the district on Sunday. And listen, you guys have already heard it, and you know it. You watch each and every day what we're doing down here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. If you want some real talk about the Falcons, you get it from us. And if you want some real talk about everything that's going on in sports, go to Locked On Sports today. That podcast is lit because they talk just like we do. They talk about the biggest stories of the day. They're not afraid to give their instant reaction, and they give recaps. And listen, you guys know that each one of us has something crazy, just like our uh, For the Culture that we talk about. We're going to do a rapid fire style today. Will they do the same thing? They call theirs Take of the Day. So if you want to hear their Take of the Day, you definitely need to check on the Locked On Sports Today crew. And listen, just like you do with us as well, you go to the Odyssey app to check us out. You go to YouTube to check us out. And of course, you go to everywhere that you download your podcasts for Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, A to Z with Mark Zeno, and ATL Day Ones. Everybody in the Locked On Sports Network for Atlanta, you want to ship that right on to Locked On Sports Today. Now, the other thing that you guys like to hear us talk about and keep it real about is the Hawks, who finally, finally spanked somebody that all, you know, was red hot coming into the building on Wednesday night. That was the Sacramento Kings. Jarvis and I joked about whether or not we were going to see Kevin Herter, Kayvon Herter, or Red Velvet. Well, Kevin Herter entered the building and entered the chat, but it was a good look for the Hawks in that they won the game. However, we're 18 games in and we still had some struggles. They were still on the struggle bus. When you talk about the effort, particularly in the end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter where they just went ice cold on offense. So my question to you guys is this, where they are now, kind of this vacillating up and down Eastern Conference that we're dealing with, how do you kind of see where they are 18, 20 games? And we're now about a quarter of the way through the season relative to how they're stacking up against some of the elites, one of which they'll take on Sunday in the Miami Heat, versus how they're stacking up maybe with that second tier that's trying to kind of find their way into, say, the top four. 
I think one of the things that that when it comes to Atlanta Hawks is that like I think we can definitely I think it's safe to say that Nate McMillan has kind of figured out what this team looks like defensively. I think the, the addition of DeJounte Murray has been one of those things that you have to kind of say, okay, this is the reason why, or one of the reasons why they have been better on de- defensively. And I've seen, you know, Trey Young at least attempting to, you know, get into passing lanes. <laughs> like, you know how, you know, everybody talked about Steph Curry and how he couldn't play defense, but he got to a point where, okay, I have to be useful on defense in order for this team to be better. And I think that Trey has kind of figured that out um, as well. So I just think the main thing for me is, is, what I feel like if we're talking about getting into that that top four, I think that's ultimately the goal, right? Be able to have that first round playoff series at home at State Farm, um, State Farm Arena. So yeah. those are some of the things that, that, that I think they sh- should shoot for. But if they're going to get to that space, I, I think that John Collins can't get continue to get lost on offense sometime from time. I, I think he kind of like need to understand what his role is for this team. And if he's going to be around, like we all heard the, 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 the trade rumors and everything popping back up, but wh- whether or not he gets traded or not, I, I think that going forward, if they're going to continue to be one of those teams that, in the top four C in the Eastern conference, he's going to have to be the guy to understand what his role is and continue to be that guy to play defense, rebound, defend and figure out how to you know shoot that three-point ball at some point he's gonna have to be better at that he has to go ahead Chuck well I was gonna say look if I have to watch John Collins go 0 for 7 from three and only take one free throw in a game because that's what it is he's a 20 right now he's averaging 24 percent not even I think it's like 23.7 percent from the three and I get the dumbest comments on well he's a stretch four and all that He's a six foot ten power forward. He's your only real power forward. That if he's going to go zero for seven from three and he can't get to the free throw line, then he ain't doing you a whole lot of good. Right. That then, with all due respect, you ain't getting a whole lot of, out of John Collins right now. His job is to be one of your better offensive players. That's what his job is. You can call him whatever. You can call him stretch this, Doctor Stretch, Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. You can call him whatever you want, but his job is to be one of your better offensive players. Zero for seven from three and you take one free throw in the game ain't doing you nothing. And their bench, their bench is like the stock market. One night it's 59 points. The next it's 13. And that's not just bogey, by the way. That's not just getting bogey back and that gets solved. Their bench can't figure out from night to night. Thank God A.J. Griffin at least is getting some run. At least they're giving him some ability. But their bench is one night this, one night that, one night this. But if I got to watch John Collins go 0 for 4 and shoot one free throw, it's ridiculous to watch that every night. Right. And there's something that Jarvis just said that just kind of want to piggyback on. It is frustrating, John. I literally could watch in the stands on Wednesday night because, you know, just kind of sitting in that media section where the whole arena did a collective gasp every time he backed himself into the perimeter like, no, because it's almost like he's almost Josh Smith like T. Yeah. <laughs> no. like, all over again. And I was like, well, wasn't really here for the Josh Smith era, but I'm gonna go with yeah, yeah that's probably what it's looking like. Whereas yeah. to you guys points, it's almost like he's not, which is troubling at this point in his career. He's not able to really read the game and kind of see where the game is. Cause there were really points in that game where the bigs for the Kings were like, hey, we're just going to leave the paint open and kind of see what yeah. you guys do. Do what y'all and want. <laughs> it was like he refused 
to just go in the paint and just kind of attack it for an and one. And there was one point where DeAndre Hunter did, and I was like, my goodness, thank God somebody between the three, four, and five actually figured out, other, other than Clint Capella, of course, but actually figured that out. And, and to you guys' points as well, yeah, it's great to have this whole concept of like positionless basketball and have this whole concept of a stretch four, but if you're going to be that, then at least on a consistent basis, give us Mr. Double Double, like give us something, even if it's not a full on, you know, 20, 10 every single night, can we get like 16 and eight? And can we get a block here or still there? And just more importantly, kind of understand where you are in the game and kind of what's your ability to impact the game, which quite honestly, to John's point, I'm seeing a little bit more of that in A.J. Griffin having an understanding of where the game is and where he's supposed to be and what his piece is in it than sometimes I'm seeing from J.C. For me, guys, this is simply more, you know, you want to talk about the offense settling in and figuring out it's it obviously still revolves around Trey. Uh, You look at the game against Sacramento the other night, um, you know, Trey Young had his best shooting night to date on the season. Now, Trey Young last year, guys, was shooting 46% from the field overall. Um, this year, he's shooting his worst percentage since entering in the NBA. You know how many games out of the 17 they've played that Trey Young has eclipsed 46% from the field? Count them just five. And three of them have come in the last three games. So if they are starting to figure out what a rotation looks like, and they are starting to figure out like you know what this is going to be, it revolves around Trey being comfortable. And I, I tell you, look, the only reason they beat Sacramento is because they shot 60% from the field in the first half as a team uh, and, and were able to force Sacramento into their worst three-point shooting, one of their worst three-point shooting nights of the entire season. So uh, I, I think defensively, yes, things are still, you know, we're cu- trying to figure out if they are better defensively or not, but I mean, ultimately, you can't run from who you are in this sense. And this team revolves around offense. And if Trey is starting to get more comfortable and shoot better, I think a lot of other things will fall into place. So, Mark, not only is the question or the statement, which is I I agree with you on that, Trey looked more comfortable even in Wednesday night's game than I've seen him so far this entire season. So I want to go back to something that a lot of us were kind of pondering and postulating on before the season, which was how long was it going to take this team to kind of gel and this whole concept of how long was it going to take for Trey Young to be legitimately comfortable with a legitimate two, who was a legitimate two-way player, and being that he hasn't really had to play off the ball since high school, let's just be honest here, how is he going to be in terms of comfortability in that new role? So, Mark, do you think a part of that is finally like, hey, we're a, a quarter of the way into the season and he really is starting to get that comfort level with what his new position looks like with everything that I just talked about? I mean, I, I hope so, um, but I still maintain that if Trey's shooting – continues to struggle. And what we've seen over the last, you know, three, four games where he's at least made 10 field goals in a game and shot above 40% because he's had some stinkers this year from a shooting perspective. Like, even the three-point shooting, it's way off. I mean, it, he's only shooting, you know, on the year 32% from three. That can't be a formula for success for the Hawks because as a volume guy, Trace is going to keep chucking him up. And so that's going to make the offense disjointed if he doesn't start making them. So I, I still wonder how much if he doesn't stay at a point where he's comfortable with the ball, the ball going in the bucket, will he start to demand more of holding the ball uh, and throw things out of whack that way? Like mm-hmm. that's my, my biggest concern for the offense uh, because I'll tell you what, there's no way Trey's going to play defense if his offense isn't working. 
right? If his offense is struggling, you know him, he's going to pivot. That's fair, yeah, yeah. At <laughs> first, it's not like Trey's going to go, well, I'm having an off shooting night. I may as well go play some defense to make up for it. No, yeah. that's not the mentality he's ever taking. So uh, he better get right and get comfortable offensively quick if you want anything else to work out. More than likely, if he's off shooting from a shooting standpoint, it was kind of like what Chuck talked about earlier. Is like he's going to go get to the basket. He's going to get to the free throw line. If he's having an off night shooting, he's going to make sure he gets to the free throw line because he's been one of the better guys in the league in, in doing that. So that's the way you're talking about understanding the game with Collins. You know, you got to understand, like, okay, if I'm not shooting that well from the three-point line, well, at least attack the basket. You're athletic enough to be able to do those things. So, but yeah, Trey is, is the guy that's definitely going to make sure he makes up for it. And it, like Mark said, it won't be defense, but more like it would be definitely getting to the basket. And, and their defensive numbers, if, if you look, look at look at three-point percentage, field goal percentage scoring. All those numbers are better year over year. That's DeJounte Murray. I mean, that's yeah, that's the kind of player that he is. And they facilitate. So they get they get plenty of assists off of their buckets and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about Trey. I'm, I'm worried about what the rest of our offensive identity is. Trey can shoot 55 times a game. I don't care because I know he's going to make enough of those. He's going to make enough big plays. But what else am I doing offensively? Now, am I, do I have a bunch of guys that settle for the three-point shot? Do I have guys that attack the rim? You know, again, everybody complains about why they don't get to the free throw. Oh, they don't get any calls. They don't get any calls because they don't attack the rim. Uh, you know, again, when, when your six foot ten power forward shoots one free throw in a game, that's because the refs aren't calling anything for it. It's because you don't attack the basket. Hunter's another guy. When he when Hunter attacks the basket, he gets ten free throw attacks. Guy, yeah, right. I mean, He's it looks like guy. a different player when he attacks the basket. Mm-hmm. So again. Trey, I'm not worried about because he, he again, is, is his track record tells you he's one of the best offensive players in the game. I'm worried. I get worried about the other guys and how they rotate and flow around it. Yeah, we had that conversation, oddly enough. Boy, once people figure out who we are and where we don't get out of Thanksgiving dinner very easily. So I ended up at a uh, dinner last night. 45 extra minutes, guys, talking about that very concept, John, in addition to what we talked about with the Hogs, but it was DeAndre Hunter. And the guy kept asking me, he was like, okay, why do you keep going back to DeAndre Hunter? I said, because every day needs to be Dre Day. I said, take away what Trey Young does, because like you guys said, Trey's going to be Trey. DeJounte, for the most part, is exactly the billing that we hoped for and that we expected when we got him. Clint Capella seems like he's back to being CC from two years ago, which, you know, that works well. And yeah, we know that for position, but boy, oh boy, I always say it's for me, it's DeAndre Hunter because he's your guy to where if he can get closer to that 20 point mark and about somewhere between six and eight rebounds, if he's not going to get double digit rebounds, and he's affecting what's happening on the perimeter for the other team, even if it doesn't show up in the box score, then I'm good. Because that means, I'd say eight times out of 10, the Hawks are going to win that game. The Hawks are going to win that game as a lot of times as DeAndre Hunter goes. So he's another one for me who really does kind of move the, the needle uh, for the Hawks. But wanted to go back to a, a couple other players before we kind of wrap up, because you guys made a great point as well, kind of alluding to what the hell, bench? I mean, you know, one day it's bench mob <laughs> 2.0. The next day is everybody's running away from being on the bench and nobody wants to come in and make a difference. So Wednesday night, I know for me, it was probably the first night this season where I was actually excited that Aaron Holiday showed up to be the Aaron Holiday yeah, yeah. That they went out to get. I was like, oh my God, he's actually shooting and making a three. Whoa, he's actually being assertive and going back and understanding catch and shoot is a good thing for you. So yeah, I think there are pieces like that 
going back to what John said as well, guys, where how important is it, especially when you see some of the benches, I'm going to say collectively like the Celtics bench torched the Hawks last week, but also isn't it always this X Factor guy like Malik Monk? I mean, we know Malik Monk, but my point being, it's always some X Factor guy off the bench for that other team that seems to will that team back in if the Hawks are ahead. How important is it for this bench to you guys point, especially on Sunday, knowing what the Heat's bench looks like for them to be able to deliver and not taking anything away from the Rockets game, of course, tonight. I think I think um, Aaron Holiday is he's having he is having his best um, career um, shooting percentage from shooting from three this year. And I think that he needs to continue to to dive into that. Right. Because we know that's what his role is going to be. That's what he he needs to be able to shoot that open shot, because when that second group comes in, because a lot of time Nate leaves Trey in or he leaves uh, DeJounte Murray in to come in with that second group. And as much as those guys can create and get to the basket, you got to have guys standing on the, on, the, on three point line ready to catch and shoot. And he needs to understand that. And I think that he's starting to understand that and he's doing his job. And I think with Aaron, AJ Griffin as well, he understands when he needs to be able to be that guy to catch and shoot and also get to the get to the basket as well. And I think when you have a rookie like that, you know, understanding the game and, and from that standpoint and, and the floor of the game and how what his role should be. But that's why I feel like Nate has been comfortable playing him more. So, yeah, those two guys right there shooting um, shoot from a shooting standpoint are leading the, the team in, in three point shooting percentage. I don't think there's there's no coincidence for that at all. Yeah, and we there's one guy we didn't talk about who had a really good game in the season opener against the Rockets. We expect nothing less of him, and that is your sixth man of the month for October, Anyeka Okongwu. He, of course, had the top rebounds uh, in that first game and traded a good assist game, double digits in that game, and guess who led the way in scoring? John Collins. So hopefully you'll see the same when they take on the Rockets tonight. But if you want to talk about it, I'm going to give the floor back to Mark for a hot second because he gave us a number earlier that I want to go back to. If you're talking about wanting to know how to bet on that game or any game, it's betonline.net for you because that's your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find out all of it, whether it's sports developments in the bigs like in the NFL, the NBA, or whether it's some of your niche sports like golf when golf is in, or if you are somebody who's watching the World Cup, maybe you want to go ahead and see what they're talking about with that as well. They've got podcasts just like this podcast that will give you all the insight that you need. And it's also MMA and boxing, all of it. So if you haven't checked out their website today, it's betonline.net. And Mark, you gave us a number earlier where you talked about the 20 and a half and hammering the under. That's the kind of information that we can find out on that website, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just... It's, it's a ton of information, guys. I mean, you know, and I always listen to the podcast. I think that the the, the handicappers there, the, the guys who break down the games, always give you good little tidbits that you can, probably can't find anywhere else. So betonline.net, always check it out. Absolutely. And that's a perfect, perfect example of why we check it out as sportscasters, because we want to get the information and insight just like you. So don't forget to go to betonline.net. That is where the game starts. And listen, guys, it's a black Friday rapid fire because I'm going to rapidly get myself out of the house so I can go shop. And so we're going to rapid fire you right through the rest of this show. So you guys can go and do whatever it is that you go and do on a Friday. Of course, stopping here first. We appreciate you. And of course, stopping at Locked On Sports today should be your next stop as well. But first and foremost, Dansby Swanson, guys, that is, as I like to call it, Dansby Swanson Watch. 
2022. So what is he going to be worth whatever money he gets in terms of what he draws on this free agent market, considering some of the other shortstops out there who are top shelf just like he is? I mean, he's going to get six for 140 and he's going to get paid like a gold glove, 25 homer, you know, 15 steel shortstop. That's he's good. That's a premium position. He's he's arguably the best defensive shortstop. He should have won the gold glove in 2020. He got completely robbed that year. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when you're at that level, yeah, you're, you're going to get and he's not. I mean, the big thing is, look, he ain't taking some hometown discount. He ain't going right. to play for a million dollars this year. So yeah, you're going to have to pony up money. So be ready for you know, six for 140, whatever that number becomes. I mean, do you think he sets the market, Mark, or do you think Carlos Correa or Trey Turner sets the market or somebody else in there who's sneaky good and kind of sets that market for well, uh, us? Believe it or not, I mean, the, the guy who sets the market is always the biggest free agent. In that case, it's going to be Aaron Judge. I think everybody's waiting for the okay. Judge contract because that will set the case where, like, if Judge gets Dansby Swanson to go first and goes, you just gave a shortstop six for 140. Yeah, my number just goes up. So right. don't sort of waiting it out. But typically, it's the biggest contract, the biggest free agent that sets the market for every other position. If you're Dansby, you do want to wait for Judge to sign because if that thing is north of 250 million, that's going to elevate what he has. So I think everybody's kind of waiting each other out right now mm -hmm. to see the first domino is to fall. But Chuck's right in a sense. I mean, the Braves told you we're going to be top five in payroll. Put up or shut up. Like, don't don't tell me. Show me. And uh, if they are, Dansby should get what Dansby wants. If they want to keep him that badly, this sh this should be the first contract to sign because it's the easiest one. Yeah, and I and I think that to add to that, I think that you know the, when you have a guy who's 28 years old who has his a career year, and like you said, um, Chuck said he has his um, first time ever winning a Gold Glove, like all of those things and factors then factor into not only what from a number standpoint. It, just from what he is in the locker room, what he means to a guy like he can go and be a, a championship pedigree shortstop for you, whoever's trying uh, for whatever contender is trying to spend the money. And I think that that's a little bit more valuable in this particular case, because when you talk about championship windows with two or three years, and I know people are concerned about what, you know, dance be able to bring once he reached that 30 year mark. And we know that a lot of times it tends to decline from that standpoint. But I, when you're talking about winning a championship, a world series, I wouldn't care about that because like all I'm cared about is for what you're going to give me in the next two years. And we know that, you know, that that six for 140, if he gets it, it like it'll be worth it if they win a World Series in, within the next two years. And mm -hmm. then you just figure out the rest later after that fact. And remember, yeah, and Tanker, his qualifying offer was one year at 19.6. He ain't taking an AAV less than 19.6. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. As, right. And as he should, as he should, he's earned his key. And the other thing I was thinking of is this is, and it may be something, again, that's kind of a little bit off the field, but it's consistency. So just having him at that shortstop position and him being able to just really uh, be a part of the consistency of what we've seen with the Braves uh, in the locker room, but also on the field, I think that's important because let's not forget that the Braves stormed back into first place in the uh, NL East. And part of the reason is because you have someone like him. So I just love to see that continuity and that consistency as well. Now, speaking of continuity and consistency, who knows what that's going to look like for Lane Kiffin come next year? Are you staying? Are you going? Are you staying? Are you going? So does the guy come back to, a, a, I'll say, kind of an upper echelon or formerly upper echelon team in, uh, in the SEC in Auburn, or does the guy really stick and stay with Ole Miss? I think he stays in Ole Miss. I think he stays in Oxford. I mean, look, you can go win eight or nine games in Oxford every year and be a hero. You can go win eight or nine games in Auburn and be a loser. 
Like, I mean, it, you know, I, I get the money factor of the whole thing and I get the resources factor, but you know, Lane isn't really wound the same way other coaches are wound. Right. And I don't think Lane for as much as he still talks about, you know, Nick Saban being the goat wants to go to the biggest rival school of Nick Saban uh, and have to have to try to win that game every year when he's never beaten him anywhere else, period. So I think there's a lot of reasons, and I think he's just using it as leverage to get more money out of Ole Miss, which he will, as he should, because he's a really, really, really damn good coach. Um, but I don't, I don't think Auburn is a good fit for him at all. I mean, to be honest with you, like we're talking about a guy that's what eight and four, seventy-five coach, which is solid. <laughs> it's solid, and that's solid for Ole Miss, right? But like you said, when you're dealing with the Auburn folks, who if you win eight games and, and gets blown out by Nick Saban, there's a lot of possibility that you might get fired at the end of the of the season. So because we know those boosters, they control a lot of what's going on down in Auburn. Now. So I think that with, with Lane Kiffin, though, I, I believe that we'll find out if Lane Kiffin has grown up, right? Because we he's failed at every place he's been before here as a head coach, right? Like, I think that's, I don't think it's hard to, what, at Tennessee, USC, you know, like he's been solid at Ole Miss, but. He was like, very successful at FAU. You want to talk about a smaller program there, but turn that thing around. But, Still, he, I, but he had to go to FAU because of what? And, <laughs> because he failed and, at the big schools, right? Well, We're talking about again, power coaching, right? Call his time at Ole Miss a failure at all. I mean, he oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not calling that a failure. I'm not okay. just saying what he's been previously. Like, like he's had massive failures at Oakland, and at, at, at USC, and at Tennessee. Like he's and he's been a guy that can win you some games. But well, I think that we'll find out whether or not Lane Kiffin has grown and learned from his past mistakes if he decides to stay at Ole Miss. If he stays at Ole Miss, okay, that's grown up Lane. Lane is starting to grow up, and he's gonna be try to establish something at Ole Miss. But if he takes the job at Auburn. Um, which he says he expects to return. I, I think that this is the same dude that we've been watching over the past uh, 10, 10 years as a head coach. Lane, Lane Kiffin wants to run his own style and his own system, and he won't get any backlash from anybody at Ole Miss. Okay. He goes to Auburn Absolutely. and he doesn't run the right style and the right system. He'll get backlash. They'll, they'll, they'll come after him there. So why would you leave? Why leave Ole Miss? I mean, again, we're not talking about a huge difference in money. The difference is that, I mean, we're talking about program, Auburn's a much better program than Ole Miss. You, you, you have won a national title at Auburn, and you can play for national titles at Auburn. They've done that. That's never happened in my lifetime at, at Ole Miss. So from a program standpoint, yes, Auburn is better. But Lane can do what Lane wants to do at Ole Miss. He can't do what he just wants to do arbitrarily at Auburn, and that's the difference. He wants to be the guy that controls everything. Yeah, and my, my mind went to Big Fish Small Pond. And not to call Oxford a completely small pond, but we'll call it maybe a smaller pond. And it just seems like that would be a nice little fit for him to just, like you guys said, he gets to run it and he gets to seem like the greatest ever. And every now and again, if he gets in there and he wins nine games or he sneaks in and he gets an upset win over a big boy in the SEC, then he looks like God, for lack of a better term. So, yeah, that might be a best fit. And speaking of a team that huh, everyone always likes to put on a pedestal, but huh, being a Steelers fan, I don't can't do that. And my guy, Hugh Douglas, of course, I can never do it. And that's put the Cowboys on a pedestal. But I'll give them credit where credit is due. They've been playing some good, solid football. They were one of the teams, of course, that we saw on Thanksgiving Day. So my question to you guys is this. Is this finally the season where these guys are? Yeah. 
I mean, define for real. They're not the best team in their division. I mean, they're not the best team in their division. So, I mean, what is for real? That they can finish second and go to the playoffs? They have a legitimate chance. They have a legitimate chance to go win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think I, that's, I, I, yeah, yeah. that's probably the definition. I mean, they're one of the four them. best teams in the NFC. San Francisco, Eagles. I, I wouldn't even I put, I put Dallas ahead of the Vikings. It has nothing to do with the blowout. I just think they're, they're defensively they're a better team uh, across the board. You know, but I mean, if you want to say Minnesota and Dallas are the four best teams in the NFC, it's probably right. And, and I'll say this. I'll add to this. I, I feel like this is what I'm really confident in saying. I don't know about necessarily being contending for Super Bowl, but – they have a championship level defense. How about that? Well, they have a. It's gonna put they, you. They have, <laughs> like they have a guy that nobody can really name and say what school he played for, and it has eight sacks. So yeah, like I feel like Dan Quinn. I know this. Your 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 your, your ears might start uh like squealing right now, Chuck. But Dan Quinn got those boys playing some football. Because well, he's oh, a great. Yeah, yeah, he looks great when he has the defensive MVP of the league running around yeah. back there too. <laughs> you know, I right. look good as a defensive coordinator if I've got Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons running right. around back there. Yeah, yeah. When I, if I have the Legion of Boom and Micah Parsons and all that, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll look like a great defense coordinator. I mean, again, he'll get a head coaching job off this. I mean, that's that's how good their defense is. Is that Somebody will hire him to be their head coach, and then three years later they'll be like, "Why the hell did we hire this guy?" Oh, that's yeah. the, the way well, it's that 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 syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Record, yeah. I'll, I'll say this: you know, Chuck just mentioned it though, and I'm a Giants fan, but Micah Parsons is the best pass rusher I've seen in my lifetime since Lawrence Taylor. So amazing, and I, I don't, I don't put that that praise out there. Ever. Did the Falcons have a chance to get him? I can't remember. I can't. Yeah, I can't them, remember. Them and 10, 10 other teams. Jeez. Oh. <laughs> we'll make it out here without being disappointed, man. We're happy. We're in well, a happy place right now. Well, but Mark, Mark, the difference is we didn't need a pass rusher then. So that's the that's the difference about why. We, anyway, sorry. Right, exactly. We can need, 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 need a tight end though. We got one. Yeah. 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 True. Just okay. like we didn't need an O line. No, no, no. We, we got a line. unicorn. We got a <laughs> unicorn. Yes. We got a unicorn. We that's the only way you justify. You got to the label unicorn. Right now, the unicorn in a cast in a stable so yeah. they're flying anywhere yeah otherwise the likes of a panay Sewell and the likes of a michael parsons triggers you triggers you just like if you have a bad dish on thanksgiving day and we mentioned it the next day you're triggered but we'll talk about the best dish instead of going into like you know something that could traumatize you i'm sure yesterday all of us had a good thanksgiving meal so i'm curious yesterday what was the best side dish that made you say okay can i take seconds can i get seconds and can i or if you were like me Visiting somebody, take something home. Well, I, I can tell you this much. It wasn't mac and cheese. Most overrated side dish out there. Mark, but, stop it with that bad take. Goodness gracious. You know, there. Mac and cheese didn't even make it to the Thanksgiving table, thank God, because we're sane people. Um, who You've been eating bad mac and cheese all your life. That's all. I mean, that's, that's just a minute. On Thanksgiving, who needs an extra carb? Like, honestly. So, uh, for me, it was always the stuffing, man. Anytime, you know, when stuffing is on point, it's always just, uh, I'm always going to. They don't say stuffing? Say it again for me. Not dressing. Stuffing? Yeah, I'll tell you what what the worst side is, is cornbread cornbread dressing. That's the worst side that there is. Stuffing is, if I can do my John Madden, you you take it, the bread, the celery, the, the onions, or and you stick it in that bird, and you stick it in there, and you cook it right inside the bird. Cornbread dressing, that should be outlawed. I'm so excited with Chuck on that one. I'm sorry. Like, I get the whole argument between, okay, is it dressing or stuffing? But for me, I'm like, first of all, dressing is dry 99% of the time. Like, nobody can quite get it right. So just let it be stuffing, and just let it complement the bird and keep it pushing. 
That's why God invented gravy is to make it wet. <laughs> yes. It By did. the way, where I went yesterday, I had a smoked turkey for the first time on Thanksgiving. It was outstanding. Oh, really? They did a big wow. green egg smoked turkey. It was. Have, have you all ever done deep fried turkey before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yes. That's yes. the one thing I miss about not going home. Yeah, you get a good deep fried. It's the truth. Truth. Yeah. Just I have sure to add my. Just just make sure you don't fill the pot with oil because that's when you drop the turkey and you watch it explode everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. but anyway, I um I got a chance to uh, make a jerk turkey. And oh. uh, it, I was injecting that bad boy with some butter and some jerk seasoning. Oh my goodness, it was absolutely amazing. So yeah, I think so that's did gonna be you my start thing. That process year. Tuesday, Wednesday. When did you do your injections and really kind of let it base? When, Wednesday, I got it on Wednesday, and um, I dropped that bad boy in the oven. I let it cook for probably about four hours. And whew, jerk and, uh, turkey I got is what it. most people call me. So, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, it was different for me yesterday. It's the first time I ever had a Ghanaian Thanksgiving. So one half oh. of the table, yeah, because my friend, she's African-American, but her husband's Ghanaian. So one half of the table was all like our typical American fare for Thanksgiving. But the other side was Ghanaian. It was actually pretty cool, especially because if you guys know me, I don't even like food touching, let alone trying to touch different food. So that was actually very much a maturing thing for me and a very exciting thing for me to try something different. And if you guys want something exciting, after you check out everything on Locked On Sports Atlanta, including this, when we do our ATL hangout, check on Locked On Sports today because they definitely have all the great insight, the reactions to all the big games, and they have their version of rapid fire or for the culture in take of the day. So don't forget to check out Locked On Sports today, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's the Odyssey app, YouTube, or downloading it elsewhere, just like you do us. And listen, don't forget you guys are getting us dangerously close to 5,000, right? Jarvis, we're almost oh, there. We're right at the finish line. Uh-huh. We leave like eight more subs. Yeah, we'll Come be on, uh, right where we need That's to be. your gift to us on Black Friday is get us over the hump to 5,000 subscribers on YouTube for this network. We appreciate you for rocking with us as always. Be safe in the ATL streets because listen, I don't want to see any fights for Black Friday when I go out and shop. And of course, come back on Monday and check out all of our shows, A to Z with Mark Zeno, Hitting Hard with John Checkery, ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and Tanitra. And we will give you guys all the reaction you could hope for on Falcons Commanders, on Hawks, Heat, and anything else going on in this ATL sports landscape. We'll see ya. Y'all come back now, you hear me? <laughs>